Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. The New York Mets did win two out of three against the Milwaukee Brewers. But here's the real celebration. The Mets leave these three-game series against the Brewers in the exact same standings place as when they went into this series. And to me, that's a victory. The Mets played an above 500 playoff contender, while the Atlanta Braves played one of the worst teams in baseball. So, to walk out of this series in the exact same spot we were in going into this series is a major, major win. And I do have to admit this. The Braves losing the final game of this series to the Washington Nationals has probably changed the mood of this podcast in a major, major way. While I try to be, as much as I can, I try to be reasonable. I try. I can be emotional at times. I can be unreasonable at times. And I think that if the Braves had completed the sweep against Washington, which they should have done and they could have done, I watched the game while doing the Carton Roberts program, so I wasn't completely locked in. But they did make that base running mistake when they were about to have bases loaded one out. There was a strike three call that looked like ball four. But once they lost that game, to me, the edge was off on the finale of this series against the Brewers because I was able to take a step back and say, look, you're playing a three-game series against a playoff contender. Winning two out of three is a win. Now, if the Braves had done their job and beaten the Nationals, I probably wouldn't be reasonable. I'd probably be screaming about the lifeless offense and screaming about Drew Smith throwing a cookie on 0-2 to Aroldis Chapman's BFF, Mike Brousseau. I'd be destroying them at offense again. But I think that the Brave loss has allowed us, at least me, and I hope it's done it for you as well, has allowed us to take a step back and say, hey, this was a good series. You know, and I think what scared me so much about earlier this week was exactly that. The Mets were playing a good baseball team. The Atlanta Braves were playing a terrible baseball team. And look, there was a long stretch of time where it was the opposite. I fully admit that, where the Mets were playing really bad teams and the Braves were playing pretty good teams. So I know it all evens out at the end, but I was just looking at this three-game set and I was very nervous that as we recorded this podcast, I was going to have to say, we're actually trailing the Braves, even though we're tied. Because to me, it's all about the loss column. Now, that will be eliminated real soon. The Braves have two games in hand. They'll play one of the extra games on Thursday. They'll play another extra game on Monday, I think, is the day that they have an extra game that they'll play. Not Thursday. I think it's Monday, if memory serves correct. So eventually, the lead is going to be the lead, or the deficit's going to be the deficit. But it's all about the loss column. And because the Atlanta Braves lost on Wednesday afternoon, I'm in a, I'm actually in a really good mood despite the horrific Met game that they played against the Brewers on Wednesday afternoon. Do you share that sentiment, Hoff, that it's a happy time right now? Oh, 100%. I mean, if the if the Braves, like you said, if the Braves won today, it would be a different story. But I'm, I'm not happy 
the Mets lost, but the confidence is starting to build back up again. They swept the, the, the Pirates, and then the first two games of the series really reminds you of how good this team has been all year. And I don't care, like, dude, it wasn't great against the Cubs, but hiccups happen throughout a long season. So that's, I take that into perspective. And I think you hit on something I completely agree with. When you look at the first two games of this series against Milwaukee, they did things that are reminiscent of what has made this team special throughout the season. And we'll obviously go deeper into these games. We'll discuss the Max Scherzer perfect game bid, my concern about this lineup against lefties, and obviously the latest on the Nimmo McNeil injuries. But just quickly on a snapshot of what you said, you beat one of the best pitchers in baseball in Corbin Burns. You kind of wear him out because you don't get to him in the first three, four innings of the game. Then Alonzo breaks through with that bomb of a home run. So you beat an elite-level pitcher, the kind of pitcher you're going to have to beat in the postseason. And then in game two, even though it's essentially a bullpen game, you fight back in a game that felt dead man walking, in a game in which it felt, right or wrong, like the offense was going through a hangover from a, a champagne celebration the night before. So I think you saw the comeback ability of this team in game two, and you saw their ability to beat an elite-level pitcher in game one. Game three, and and I'll start there because it's the most recent game. Taiwan Walker was mostly good. And again, this is one of those games I talk about acknowledging I'm on the air as this game's happening. So like 99% of the games that the Mets play, I'm actually watching every single pitch. I'm scoring it. I'm, I'm geeking out to the highest level. When we're on the air, it's a very different story. So my analysis of this game is from what I saw. And what I saw was an offense that had a few opportunities early and did nothing. Sounds familiar. Sounds like the Cubs series. I thought Taiwan Walker was tremendous. And then Buck pushed him a little bit. I got no problem with that because his pitch count was really low. Let him start the seventh inning. Got into trouble. Goes to David Peterson. And then eventually goes to Drew Smith. And I want to take Buck's side on this. The reason why I liked, I did, and I said this off air to Lugie and Big Mac because we were at commercial break when this happened, so they'll they'll vouch for me, I guess. The reason I liked going to Drew Smith with the bases loaded against Purcell is that we don't have a lot of time. To me, the playoffs start on Friday against Atlanta. So counting this game, the New York Mets have six games until the playoffs start. Because that's really the way I look at it. You play the Braves, there's no effing around. I'm sorry. When you play the Atlanta Braves, there's no let's let's challenge this guy. Let's face no, no, no. You got to win those games. So this is about figuring out what you have in Drew Smith, who hasn't pitched in the major leagues in two months. This is about figuring out, hey, can David Peterson get a left-hander out? Can David Peterson be a somewhat reliable bullpen arm? And the truth is, this is how we find out. And David Peterson essentially did his job. I mean, think about it. He faced three batters. He got the sacrifice bunt. He struck out Christian Yelich, and he issued an intentional walk. I mean, so David Peterson succeeded essentially in what he was asked to do. Okay, issues the intentional walk. Here comes Drew Smith. I totally get the idea of, hey, come on. You don't trust Seth Lugo more? You don't trust, not that he was going to go to Adam Adovino in that spot. He wasn't, but you don't trust Adam Adovino more? I do, But we need to see what's up with Drew Smith. And if your point is, well, start him in a low leverage spot. How much time do you think we have left? There's not a lot of time. If you agree with my point that the playoffs start against the Braves, they have five games now left. Where where exactly are you testing Drew Smith? So 
I defended this when Peterson did this. I'm sorry, when Buck did this with Peterson against the New York Yankees in the Subway Series. Remember when he used him out of the bullpen and he promptly gave up the two-run homer to Glaber Torres? He didn't work, but I liked it. I liked the challenge. I liked this challenge. Look, Drew Smith was one of their best relievers for the first month of the season. Then he started a struggle. Then he had the lat issue. I'm not telling you I trust Drew Smith. I'm not telling you we're ever going to trust Drew Smith. But we need to find out if we can trust Drew Smith. So I'm with Buck. I had no issue with that. Did you have an issue with that, uh, Hoff? No, I, I think I'm on the same page. I, I mean, we're, we talk about like, oh, well, maybe we can get DeGrom a couple, like stretch him out a couple more games too, try to get his pitch count up. It's like, there's really no time for anything. It's it's crunch time. So I, I agree. Just throw, it's it's no holds bar. Just do your bet. Just throw it out there. That's what it is. It's time. And this is, this is the bullpen. The bullpen is filled with auditions. David Peterson, I thought, did a really good job with his audition today, especially striking out Christian Yelich. I know he's not the Christian Yelich from a few years ago. Christian Yelich is, is like a serviceable major leaguer. I think he's better than that. I don't want to say he's Brandon Nimmo, but he he kind of is, right? Like, averages the same, high on base, doesn't hit for nearly as much pop as he used to. And if you can get past, he's not the MVP guy. Christian Yelich is still a very useful major league baseball player. And I think the Nimmo comparison is fair. If we're, I mean, I'm not going that deep into the numbers, but again, batting average is the same, home runs, RBIs, on base, Seems similar. Hoff can look up the war and tell me if, if the wars are the same. It probably won't be because of the defense. Nimmo's defense has been outstanding in center field. I'm not watching Yelich enough in left field to know where he is defensively now. But the point is, David Peterson striking out Christian Yelich with second and third one out is a thing. And we have to acknowledge that. Like, that's, that's impressive. So, Drew Smith failed. Tyler McGill actually got into this game, too, because we've seen him come back. And I don't know what they have in Tyler McGill. And that's not to say the Mets are giving up on games. I'm not giving up on any game. All these games are incredibly important. But how else are you going to find out what you have specifically in McGill, Drew Smith, and David Peterson? But but look, the Mets lost the finale of this series because they couldn't hit. I mean, sometimes, like we talked about in the Chicago series, it's pretty simple. They didn't hit. They did hit, though, in the first two games of this series. And that's at least what has to make you feel good. Opener of this series, you're facing one of the best pitchers on the planet in Corbin Burns, a guy who won the Cy Young the year before. But we're excited because Max Scherzer's back. And you knew going in there was going to be a rigid pitch count on him. And when he got the first two guys out on strikeouts, I actually said out loud to my wife, kind of sucks. He won't get a chance to complete the no-hitter tonight. And she laughed. She's like, <laughs> little did I know that Max Scherzer, forget no-hitter, would retire everybody he faced over the course of six innings. But that did make pulling him a lot easier. You knew it. And I think we all understand it. I made the point, and I'm not going to belabor it here. Trust me, this is not a basketball show. But I made the point with uh, Craig that I think pulling Max has a lot of similarities in theory to maintenance days in the NBA. Now, obviously, in maintenance days in the NBA, a guy doesn't play at all. He doesn't just play 15 minutes. He doesn't play. But the whole thinking, and, I, and I've had a chance to learn about this because I rooted for a team once that had championship aspirations. I'm not sure if they still do, though they may claim they do. But when you have veteran superstars, my thought was, I don't care about Tuesday against the Raptors. I need to be ready to win an NBA championship. And so I was always a defender of the maintenance day because the greater goal is to win a title. 
Max Scherzer was pulled for that exact same reason. He was pulled because the greater goal is not pitching a perfect game against the Brewers in the middle of September. The greater goal right now is to be healthy and ready for the postseason. You don't have to disagree or agree with my point. It's just I thought about it as it was happening because while it's not apples to apples, there are some similarities to it. And I remain consistent. My goal as a fan is to win a championship. If this was April or May or June or July, I probably would think differently about it because I'd say, come on, he's only thrown 68 pitches. He's Max Scherzer. Go pitch a perfect game. But when you are this close to the end of the season where Max only has two starts left that he's scheduled to make before the postseason, you cannot F around. And so why was the magic number 68 and not 88? That's up to Max Scherzer. That's up to Buck Showalter. I think what made it easier was that the game felt over when Max came out. The Mets had the 5-0 lead. Pete Alonso hit that three-run home run. Daniel Vogelback continues to break out. He smoked the RBI double. So the Mets had a lead to where, as they're asking for nine outs, yeah, the perfect game is clearly going to be broken up. They're not pitching a combined perfect game as cool as that would be. Or would it be cool? But... I felt like, all right, we got this game. Even when McGill came in and promptly gave up the two-run home run at Telez, I actually wasn't even overly concerned. I wasn't. I just felt, all right, you know what? We'll we'll figure this thing out. Especially when the Mets promptly got the runs back in the top of the eighth inning. But I get it. I get it. I think if this is a different part of the season, if Max wasn't coming off an injury, the discussion we'd have about this would be very, very different. But the fact it was his first start back off the injured list, and we all know how valuable he is to the Mets' championship chances. I accept it. I get it. I understand it. I didn't celebrate it. And the tweet I laid out that night, which for some reason people want to argue with me about, I never said they should, shouldn't take Max out. I was saying, this sucks. This sucks may just mean a situation sucks. Not that it's anybody's fault. When Matt Harvey needed Tommy John surgery, I remember screaming and yelling. I wasn't screaming at anybody individually. No one's fault for Matt Harvey needing Tommy John surgery. But what I screamed about was, this sucks. Not mad at anybody. It just sucks. And I think a situation like this is very similar. No one did anything wrong. I'm not mad at Buck Showalter. I'm not mad at Matt Scherzer. I'm not mad at anybody. But I think it's fair to say That's why I didn't understand anyone disagreeing with me. It just sucks. You'd love to see a guy have a chance to finish a perfect game. That's all. You'd love for the situation to be different. Did that frustrate you off? Max coming out or you on my boat of, you accepted it. You understood it. I didn't even blink an eye. Didn't even, didn't even, like, didn't even register that he'd come out for another inning. Like, it was like, whatever. I expected, when you have somebody come off the IL and he pitched three and, what, two-thirds at the rehab, I'm not expecting him to go more than six anyway. So it was a beautiful sight to see him be so dominant. But it was, yeah, blink, no, no sweat off my back. I'm sorry. I, anybody, you, it sucked. You're right. But I can't. It, I have bigger things to, to worry about. It's called the World yes. Series. Excuse me. Excuse my language. <laughs> yes, no, I get it. And, and he, only, he only has two more starts left. So if the Mets are trying to take it slow with him or build him back up, I mean, think about this. He's got to start against the A's. All right, another tune-up. 
And then he faces the Braves. So, actually, if you go back to my logic that the playoffs start against Atlanta, he only has one more start before the postseason because his last regular season start is going to be, I don't want to say a must-win game. Obviously, the Mets are going to the playoffs, but an important game against the Atlanta Braves. You have me in a rabbit hole right now. I've been looking at war for the past five minutes. <laughs> you're trying, are you trying to figure out Christian Yelich's war versus Brandon Nimmo? Just to oh, see no, if my... I, I, I have it. I, I have a bunch. Oh, what's, the, what's the answer then? Tell All me. right, so, so Yelich is 2.7. Oh. Nimmo is 4.2. Yeah, but it's the for, defense. So, but for reference, I, I can't look up a few more. Yeah. You know, guys, one guy's about to hit a, you know, Another bunch of home runs this season. Aaron Judge, 9.7. Francisco Lidore, 5.5. Willie Adamas to throw it in there, 4.5. Marte, 3.7. Alonzo, a 3.6. And then Giancarlo Stanton, 0.5. But by the way, and I, you bringing this up just pisses me off. The Alonzo hate from war just drives that's, me nuts. That's why I say nuts. it. But by the way, I, I got to give my old partner, my, my partner on Saturdays, Joe Beningo, a lot of credit. He said passingly on Saturday, the last show we did, boy, I tell you, Aaron Judge, Ed, I'd say at least 10 wins to a team. And I jokingly <laughs> said to him, well, you just cited war. And guess what? Based on what Hoffman just read, Joe's right. <laughs> 9.7. Hey, I, by the way. Yes. By the way, I'm a little disturbed with you. I got a bone what? to pick. So go, go, back, go back to the other stuff that you want to go to. But I got a bone to pick with you. What? We clinched a playoff on Monday, and we didn't do an emergency podcast. What's up with that? Yeah, you're not the first person to say that to me. I've heard a few people say that. Well, okay. Loogie was one of them. Yeah, Loogie, our producer, was one of them. Okay. When we did the Rico on Sunday, we did 10 minutes on clinching, what it means, <laughs> 2016. We're breaking down the roster from 2016. The clinching was inevitable. Like, it was special. I'll tell you how I acted when they clinched. I didn't think it was worthy of an instant reaction, emergency podcast. Now, there will be many. I think we're going to do one after the first Braves game, 100%. I think we're definitely going to do one of those. We'll do some after the playoffs, obviously. I mean, we. I basically preempted the clinching podcast <laughs> by saying, hey, we're going to clinch. This is how it's going to feel. You know, it's, I don't it's think it was necessary. It still felt special. And listen, not to even we, you, you could save today for the Scherzer stuff, but that was a special day. That it really felt good, it, and it was an accomplishment that Mets fans haven't been able to celebrate that many times. Okay, so a hundred percent, I agree with you. And when they clinched it, I didn't get emotional, but I did start thinking back to how rare this is, which I expressed last week that. It is special to make the postseason, but I immediately, after getting up out of my chair and hugging my wife, saying, hey, we're going back to the playoffs. And by the way, when the Mets won the division in 2015, I cried like a baby. I can't even explain why, but I was very emotional when they won the National League East in 2015, that game against the Reds. And after I got emotional, I got just piss-wasted. Me and my wife went out to a party. We got so drunk. It was fantastic. It was before we had kids, all right? Long, long time ago. But... I'd say within five minutes of thinking about making the playoffs, my focus went right to, we got to win the second division. And so this is really, really unique. In fact, I was surprised. Gary Cohen got it wrong on the broadcast, and now it's going to make me go down memory lane. Gary Cohen on the broadcast said, oh, we just got reminded by Ethan, who's a part of Mets PR, does a great job, that 
the Mets were in a situation like this before in 2000, that they clinched the playoff spot and still had a chance at the division. That is 100% not true. That is not what happened, okay? I'll tell you exactly what happened because I remember it. The Mets played the Braves at Shea Stadium. The Braves won either the first game of the series, I think it was the first game of the series, to clinch the NL East. They clinched the division at Chase Stadium. They were very matter-of-fact. John Rocker, you know, mocked the fans a little bit, but there was no over-the-top celebration. The next day, the Mets beat the Braves to clinch the wild-card spot. And I remember with my dad saying, boy, this, this is so awkward. Like, we can't celebrate. They won the division. What the hell are we celebrating? Second place? So, if, And you could look this up. The Braves won the division one night, and the Mets won the wild card the next night. There was never a, the Mets clinched a playoff spot, plus they're competing for the division, unless my memories are completely twisted, and I don't think they are. I, 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 don't th- I think I would trust, if I'm going to trust anybody, it's you, because I don't remember. I'll look it up to confirm. But look I'm, it up. Before this pod is over, I want you to say, Evan, you're remembering it right, or, hey, Evan, you're a schmuck. Apologize to Gary Cohen. And but I'm telling you, I don't think I don't have to apologize. It's more about Ethan because Ethan did the hard work to find that stat. So don't don't. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't know who I'm mad at. It's just it, it's it is unique. That, that's the bottom line. Like this situation they're in of clinching a playoff spot and still being in a tooth and nail battle for the division is really really, really unique. The Dodgers, the Astros, and soon the Yankees were in spots where yeah they're clinching a playoff spot first, but you knew they were winning the division. So. The way you handle your celebration can be very, very different. I tell you, as a fan, my attitude was, uh, we got to win this division. Like, this race isn't over. We got to get back to that. But look, winning the opener of this series, having Max Scherzer dominate the way he did, he wins his 200th game, Pete Alonso wins a three-run home run. It was an absolutely perfect night. No doubt about it. The only negative, I guess, was Tyler McGill finally comes back and, you know, didn't look great. But it was his first game back, gave up that two-run home run to Rowdy Telez. I was never fully worried. The second game of this series was <laughs> was so frustrating, but awesome on so many levels because Carlos Carrasco's lousy, bad cookie, as we like to call him. And he was. He was bad cookie right from the get-go. He was lucky to get through the first inning. He gave up that double to Willie Adamas and then almost gave up a double to Urias. It just went foul. He gets through the inning. Then he gets bombarded in the second inning with rip doubles all over the place. And Buck's lucky he got him through the third and fourth inning. Great, have a party. But that wasn't all on Carlos Carrasco. As mediocre as he was, the Mets did something so typical of what happened when they struggled against Chicago. They have a first inning rally that goes nowhere. That was the kiss of death when they were struggling against the Cubs and even the Nationals. First inning rally goes nothing. And then they get mowed down by Peter Strzelecki and Holby Milner. And it's like, what the hell is going on? I need a sip of water. Hold on one second. Pulling up Marco Rubio when he did the rebuttal at the uh, State of the Union. Give me a second. You watched too much <sighs> politics. Is that what oh, you That was classic. You- that was classic. You don't know about that? So it was a State of the Union. Obama was president. <laughs> and Marco Rubio was doing the response, right? So he needed to drink water in the middle of his response, and he's like awkwardly trying to grab the bottle of water to give himself a break. What he should have done was what I just did, which is, hey, 
I need a sip of water. Give me a second. Because I'm a effing human. And like people would understand that. Rubio's like awkwardly grabbing. That's why he didn't become president. True story. It's why he couldn't win the Republican nomination in 2016. And because Chris Chris Christie bitch slapped him. Which I don't know (laughs) if you recall. Oh my God. Christie took him apart in one of the uh, debates. And then, yeah, Rubio went after Trump and they went after each other. So I guess that had something to do with it too. Anyhow, I'm not getting on a tangent here. Breaking down the freaking 2016 Republican primary. Ah, I forgot what I was saying now. I was. Go. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? No, no, I'm still still looking. I'm still looking. I I wasn't sure if you need my help. Let me know when you figure that out. So the Met offense can't hit anybody. And the whole time I'm thinking, we just need a bomb. We're not getting all four runs back because it's 3 nothing. They tack on a run against Trevor Williams, who wasn't great. He was very fortunate to get through that fifth inning. And who knew at the time? But when he got Omar Navarez to pop up with bases loaded two out in the fifth, that was one of the biggest points of the game. But they just needed a bomb. And when Alonzo came up with two on and one out, that was the moment where the bomb hit. And credit to Pete Alonzo. He's been on that streak of driving a run every day. Finally got snapped in the finale of this series. But that was such a much-needed three-run home run. And I'm not brimming with confidence. When he hit it, I felt good. When he hit it, I felt, okay, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And Keith Hernandez, throughout the broadcast early on while they were struggling, kept saying, it's one of those games where the offense may start to hit late. They may figure it out late. And when Alonzo hit the three-run home run, even though the next two guys meekly went out, Escobar and McNeil, there was just a feel that, okay, this game is completely different. And they got through the seventh inning, or got through the sixth inning, which was really, really important because you just put up three runs on the board. And then, boy, that seventh inning was something. Making Trevor Rogers or Taylor Rogers, one of the Rogerses, the lefty who can't throw strikes, that Rogers. Ball four, ball four. And he wasn't even that close. Nimmo drew a very close ball four to get the bases loaded. Kind of strikes out, which was a disaster. And then Francisco Lindor does what I got to tell you he's been doing all year. He has had a very, very clutch season, which sometimes can't just simply be defined by, hey, what's he hitting with runners in scoring position? Because that's not the fairest way necessarily to show if a guy's clutch or not, good or bad. Because runners in scoring position up 8-1 to one in the 8th inning counts the same. If you watch Lindor every day, and I've never been a, a Lindor lover or defender, I just call it like it is. He has gotten so many big hits this year, and that grand slam was monumental on the first pitch. And usually when I'm watching these games, I'm actually really calm. Very, very calm when I watch these games. When he hit that grand slam, oh my God, I jumped out of my chair. And everybody's sleeping. My wife is sleeping. Our youngest kid is still in our bed. Don't get me started. All right, he's sleeping. And I did a silent pump fist. Like, it's just like, uh, I'm holding it in. That was a great feeling. A tremendous feeling. Because I think, off you said it earlier, that reeked of earlier Mets. That reeked of the DNA of this baseball team to win a game like that. To be down 4 nothing. To score three in the six. To have a teammate pick up a teammate because Mark Canna striking out was a killer. You got bases loaded one out. All Canna's got to do is hit the ball to the outfield. The game is tied. I'm not asking for a grand slam. So that was that was huge. That was tremendous. And then, look, Buck's usage of the bullpen was fine. 
It really was. Joely Rodriguez gets a lefty out. Let me try Trevor May. He's shaky, but he's able to get through the inning. He gives Adovino a chance to get through the eighth. And as soon as he gives up the RBI hit to Willie Adamas, he says, okay, no more effing around. Let's get Edwin Diaz in this game. And Edwin Diaz has had his shaky moments recently, but that was dominant Edwin Diaz. That was scary good Edwin Diaz. And there are some good closers in Major League Baseball this year. Not named Clay Holmes because he sucks now. But, you know, Emmanuel Class A of Cleveland. You know, Kenley Jansen leads the league in saves. He is shaky as all hell. But Edwin Diaz makes it look as easy as anybody. He has really had an incredible, incredible season that we should not take for granted, especially us as Met fans who are so used to horrible, crappy closers. And he's been great this year. Now, that's not me telling you he's not going to blow up in the playoffs. I hope he doesn't. You never know. I hope he doesn't. He's never pitched in the playoffs. We're going to find out. For him, that's brand new. I don't know what's going to happen. But in this regular season, he has been remarkable. He gets a four-out save without skipping a beat. And so winning the first two games of this series, that's what they needed to do. Because, again, you're facing a good team. The Brewers are a solid little baseball team. I'm not saying they're a great team. I did think they were going to be a lot better than they turned out to be. I thought the Brewers were going to be a 95-win team. I was wrong. And I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. I hope the Brewers don't make the playoffs. And you know why? You know why, Pete? See if you can figure it out. Um, let me try to think why you why like the Brewers not. Because that means the Phillies make the playoffs, but that's not a good thing. Is that a good why? thing? Okay, you're, you're on the right page here. You haven't nailed it yet, but you're getting there. Maybe it's because the Phillies are about to play four games against the Braves, and I want the Phillies to Uh. win. (laughs) If the Brewers make the playoffs, there's a chance the Phillies crap the bet against the Braves again. And I don't want that. (laughs) Look, if the Phillies could take care of business this weekend and then crap the bet, I got no problem with that. they, They lose all their games after they play Atlanta. I don't even know who they play. I don't even care who they play. Then I'm all right. But I want the Philadelphia Phillies to win three out of four against the Atlanta Braves. Is that asking too much? Yeah, probably. No, no, it's it's it, well, it is. But let me let me just point out one last thing about the Braves, and I don't we don't have to talk about them so much until our series with them. They have one off day for the rest of the season. Yes, yes, I think it's next Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, right before they play the Mets. They have an off day. Well, that look, that's why the whole games in hand thing. I think it benefits Atlanta because the loss column is even. But the negative is they don't have off days because they have to play the games to make up. And I think what really benefits the Mets, and we haven't touched on it yet, is that Brandon Nimmo left game three with a quad injury. Jeff McNeil got through the game, but he had like five different injuries. Uh, trying to get away from Escobar on the little pop-up. Then the on the Grand Slam is trying to leap over the fence, whatever the hell he's trying to do. The Mets have three off days in the next week. And I love baseball. I want baseball every day. I love these effing off days. I need these effing off days. So, yes, you're right. The Braves only have one off day. The Mets have one, two, three off days. I think that helps the Mets. I, I do. I, I Listen, Scherzer was one who said, well, it was last year with his dead arm, he's like, I needed to pitch consistently. I didn't need the off days. But for me, I think it's going to benefit because they may wear out. They It's a long season. It's a long grind. They're on fire, but... They still have to go a long way to get to the well, end of the season. You know what's funny about this? The off days, to me, not don't benefit the pitching as much as they benefit the everyday bats. And my reasoning for that is, and you sort of touched on it, Scherzer's missed time with IL stints. So while he's pitched a 
quote-unquote full season, he has made 21 starts, which means he has two. He's made 23 starts this year. He's going to throw about 145 to 150 innings. So not really a full season. Jacob DeGrom missed half the season. So you've got your two best pitchers as rested as they can be. And hopefully, as you pointed out, it doesn't turn into Max having a dead arm because he didn't pitch enough. Your bullpen has also had a lot of rest, sometimes for bad reasons. Edwin Diaz can't get in a game when the Mets are getting swept by the Chicago Cubs. He got in one, but he's gone stretches without pitching. The Mets have a well-rested bullpen. So I don't think the off days to me, I don't look at it as benefiting the pitching. In fact, it could be negative because you want to see Tyler McGill out there. You want to see Drew Smith out there. You want to kind of continue to test these guys in big spots. That's not the benefit. The benefit's the everyday player. Because not only are you dealing with the Starling Marte injury, which continues to linger, the Brandon Nimmo injury, which is new, Jeff McNeil being banged up. Dude, God knows what else Pete Alonso and Lindor are going through. These guys play every day. Every day. And, and Buck hasn't DH'd him a lot lately. So, and, and, and no one's complaining about this. I'm not saying this in a negative way, but the New York Mets and Buck Showalter in 2022 have run their stars out there every single day. I think most people listening are saying, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I'm not saying it's bad. I love it. I want to see my best players play. Now, you don't want to see them break down. You don't want to see them get tired at the end of the year. The last thing I wanted to hear from Lindor a week and a half ago is, well, we're hitting a wall. No, get over the goddamn wall. Don't hit a wall. But I do think without them missing games, because every game is important, having an off day on Thursday, having an off day on Monday, having an off day on the following Thursday, I think is tremendous. I really do, and I really believe it benefits the position player a hell of a lot more than it's even benefiting the pitching. Yes, you can work your rotation however you want. I don't think Buck needs to change anything. I heard Gary and Keith having that discussion on the broadcast the other day. Well, you want to have DeGrom, then Scherzer, then Bassett. Not necessarily. This isn't a best-of-five series. It's a three-game series. I don't think the order of pitcher matters. I really don't. Now, where the Mets and Braves are in the standings will be significant. And look, let's just make things simple. If they're tied, which they are right now, so that means the Braves win the the extra games and everything remains to Hoyle, then you go into that series flat out needing to win the series. Period, stop. You got to win two out of three. That series will be for the division. It doesn't have to be that way. Because if the Mets can pick up a game, whether it means the Braves lose to the Phillies on Thursday, whether it just means wherever it comes from, that's not even important. If the Mets can pick up a game in the loss column on the Atlanta Braves, I want to make this clear, that series is completely different. If you go into a three-game series with the Braves and you're one game up, you don't have to win the series. You have to win a game. Because I'll I'll spell it out for you. It's pretty damn simple. If you go into a series with Atlanta up one and you lose two out of three, you end the series tied with the tiebreaker going into a three-game series against the Nationals. Now, obviously, it's no lock you win every game against Washington. We all know the risks of that. But you at least go into the final week of the season not having to worry about the break. Win your games, you win the division. And I think all of us would sign for that. How could you not? So I, I like that you just tied that into 
if you get the tiebreaker, the, all you guys do is win out. And if the Braves win out, it's a wrap. And now we go back to history. In 2000, the Braves did clinch before the Mets did. They won 7-1. to You nailed it. And the stat was, even if the Mets win out and the Braves lose out, they, the Braves would still have the edge because they had the tiebreaker. Yeah, then back the then, two- back then, before the second wild card, that's how they ran it, where there would be a tiebreaker to win the division. And it wasn't a big deal because the difference between winning the division and a wild card was just not a big deal. In fact, you could look this up. In 2005, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox finished, a, finished in a tie for the American League East, but the Yankees won the tiebreaker. And it was the most anticlimactic final three-game series of the year. They played each other, and nobody gave a crap about the division because it was like, eh, what's the difference? And look what happened. The Yankees played the Angels. The Red Sox played the White Sox. I think both teams didn't have home field advantage. Like, both teams were on the road. It was like, what the hell is the difference? (laughs) Who cares? So. So I was right that the Braves won the division and then the Mets won the wild card the very next night, right? You were right. And then Steve Phillips basically said it doesn't make a difference. The goal was the division, and we didn't get there, so we lost the goal. So he okay, kind of so, put the whole thing. So, listen, I remember as a kid the feeling about this. You wanted to beat the Atlanta Braves. We hated the Atlanta Braves. Remember what had happened the year before? They played in the National League Championship Series, almost came back from 3-0. Chipper Jones haunts our dreams. All that's true. But there was no difference between winning the division and the wild card. It, I don't know the audience, the average age. If you're under the age of, I guess, 30, you probably don't remember this crap. But it was terrible. It was not a good time. They made the wild card and the division almost equal. And now the reason why we're so passionate about the division is that it's not equal. Now, I, I will say there is a flaw in this playoff format that will not affect the New York Mets, and that's winning the division and still having to play in the wild card series like the Cardinals are. That's a flaw. Because to me, you win the division, you should get the bonus of something special. They're only giving that bonus to two teams, specifically the Dodgers and whoever wins the NL East. Yeah, it, it, the, whole, the whole system is flawed because they're trying to, uh, you know, fi- they're trying to fix the problems that they've had over the years. I mean, they threw out the, the one-game playoff, which was basically a playing game. And they realized that was a mistake. So now they're trying to, to, you know, kind of piggyback off what the NFL does. But until they have four divisions in each, you know, until they have four divisions in each league, you can't really do it. They got yeah, to, I, they have to, they have to re, <laughs> refigure teams. <coughs> What's funny is, and maybe you disagree with me on this, I love the wild card game. I thought it was great. I thought it made a lot of sense. And if it was unfair, too freaking bad, go win your division. Now, what would the difference be? I don't think there'd be any difference with the way we would focus on this divisional race because if we were under the old format of last year, you win the division, you're in the divisional series like we're doing right now. If you don't win the division, you're in a one-game playoff as compared to this new best of three. So I think our feelings towards the division wouldn't be any different, but the reason I loved it is because they fixed the issue of the wild card and division being interchangeable, which is the way it used to be. So, look, I, I like the format that they used to have. I don't love this format, but we're playing by it. And the one thing I do like, at least in the case of this year's National League East, is winning the division matters. And the example I'd give you is if we were battling for a division right now, Mets and Braves are battling, 
but the Cardinals were at 105 wins. So you see what I'm saying? The Cardinals are, and the Dodgers clearly are going to have the two best records. Then the division and the wild card would have been very interchangeable because you'd still have to play a best of three. And the top wild card team gets home field advantage throughout. So hear me out. The Cardinals have more wins than the Mets and the Braves. Just imagine that world. What the hell would the division race mean right now? We wouldn't even give a crap. Because either way, you have to play a best of three with all three games in your own building. It wouldn't make a difference. Now, that's going to happen someday. That hasn't set up right now for the ALNL. It hasn't. But it will. And when it does, you're going to say... Who cares if we win the division? Does that make sense what I laid out? It, it does. And you just, the, the hole in the – that's why I, I don't like the playoff system right now. I'm not sure the best one we ever had. I mean, when it was simple where there's just like you, you had two representatives from the NL, two representatives from the AL. But that was even – that was pathetic too because you need to have some sort of like chance. There's 30 teams in the league. You want to give, you want to give hope to some of these teams. Now I think it's just a little sat, oversaturated. And it, like you said, there's just – if you get to that point where there's just – that many teams that are dominant, it doesn't make any. It, it just it's all screwed up. I don't. A right, couple couple things with these injuries. Brandon Nimmo says not a big deal about his calf. We're gonna find out Friday. They need him. That would be a major major blow if Brandon Nimmo has to miss any time. You're probably looking at Mark Hanna playing center field. You're probably and and Starling Marte is not walking through that door really that soon. I know the latest was Marte expects to be ready for the Atlanta series. We'll see. I, I'm also concerned and. This is not a huge factor yet, but start to think about who the Mets may play in the playoffs because the Mets are going to the postseason, whether it's in a wild card series or whether it's in the divisional series. But let's say, hey, the Mets win the division and the Mets are in the divisional series and they are facing the winner of a series hypothetically between, let's say, the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Diego Padres. The Mets against lefties scare the crap out of me. This right-handed lineup that they have has a major, major issue. It's got a few major issues until Marte comes back, one of which being, who is the right-handed DH? Mark Vientos, who we all wanted, is one for 17. Darren Ruff's looked a little bit better. He drew a walk the other day at a base hit about a week ago or something like that. No one trusts Darren Ruff. So my suggestion, if Marte's healthy, only works if Marte is healthy, is that the right-handed DH would be Eduardo Escobar. And you would play Luis Guillerme at third base. And you would play Jeff McNeil at second base. Luis Gu- I'd basically be saying, look, I don't trust any of these right-handed bats. So let me just make my defense that much better. And I think Guillerme could at least give me quality at bats against a tough lefty. He may not produce very much for me. But I expect him to give me an 8-9 pitch battle. And my defense at third base is really good. And looking ahead, and I don't want to look ahead, the whole Dodger rotation is lefty. I mean, think about it. You're looking at Urias and Tyler Anderson and Clayton Kershaw. There's lefties up the ass with that team. Obviously, Atlanta's best starter is a lefty in Max Freed. So I don't know if there's enough time for our confidence level in Darren Ruff or Mark Vientos to change dramatically. But I really think the answer then is going to be if Marte's healthy and Marte's playing right, your DH is Eduardo Escobar, who's been really good and is playing every day. He's earned that. Against lefties, against righties, Eduardo Escobar's kind of earned back that trust. So against lefties and against righties, he plays. I guess against lefty, against um, righties, you would play Escobar or Guillerme. 
McNeil at second, Marte and right, Vogel back at DH. But probably Escobar. As good defensively as Guillerme is, Escobar's bat's been valuable. Yeah, no, he's had one of the high, hot, uh, one of the hottest bats on the team in the past recent weeks. So you, you can't. We've waited all season for this. If he's there, you can't sit him. You know what I mean? No, he plays. I think he's absolutely earned that. And then it leads to who protects Pete Alonso. I was thinking about this. All season long, there has not been a consistent number five hitter. There's been a consistent leadoff hitter. His name is Brandon Nimmo. There's been a consistent number two hitter for the most part. His name is Starling Marte. There's been a consistent number three hitter, Francisco Lindor. In fact, Brandon Nimmo has let off 137 times this season, which is crazy. Uh, Marte, who's missed time due to injury, has batted second 107 times. Lindor has batted third 126 times. And Pete Alonso has hit cleanup 142 times. So now say to yourself, all right, who should bat fifth? Who has bad fifth? Do you know how many different guys have tried to, quote-unquote, protect Pete Alonso this season? How many guys have batted fifth this season? Uh, I mean, it could be upwards of 10. You nailed it. That's a good job out of you. 10 different guys, which is absurd. I know. That's absurd. 10 different guys have batted fifth. It's mostly been Vogelback in recent time, and I think against a right-hander, it will be Daniel Vogelback. But Eduardo Escobar has done it 37 times. Jeff McNeil has done it 36 times. I guess if Marte is healthy, you run into the, does McNeil just go back to 5, 6, or 7? Or do you consider keeping him towards the top of the order? He's been batting third recently. So what are you going to do? I mean, you're not dropping Marte. You're not dropping Nimmo. You're not dropping Lindor. So my gut is, if all these guys are healthy, because obviously Nimmo's dealing with the calf right now, because I think if... If um, Nimmo is hurt and misses any extended period of time, the leadoff hitter probably becomes Starling Marte. And you could go Marte, Lindor, McNeil. I don't and want to envision it, this, but that could be the case. And, and who's playing center? Is it? Is it? Canna. Ugh. Or Tyler Naquin. Yeah, I know, but that, that's an ugh, too. Yeah, I don't look at it. The whole thing. Or, or Jeff <laughs> McNeil could play the outfield. And now you've got Guillerme at second bay. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways you can go. I just hope it's not the case. Nimmo seems to think it's a minor thing. Now, he's going to have an MRI, I'm sure, and they're going to check him out. So what Nimmo thinks may not be the case, but losing Brandon Nimmo would be such a blow because of all the guys that have owned a spot in the batting order, Brandon Nimmo as the leadoff hitter seems to fit better than anything in the world. Obviously, Alonzo cleanup as well. But you could see uh, Pete Alonzo batting third or batting second, which we saw recently. Brandon Nimmo is the leadoff hitter for this team. And it would be a major, major blow not to have him. But think about all the different guys that have batted fifth. It's insane. I think Eduardo Escobar has become a big candidate to bat fifth now with the way he's been producing. But Daniel Vogelback has gotten hot. That's been a big help. Uh, outside of that, I mean, Mark Canna batting fifth? No thanks. Darren Ruff, if he actually plays? No thanks. But the protecting of Pete Alonso, which has been a worry and a concern all season long, uh, I think it comes down now against righties. It's Vogelback against lefties. I don't. Know, I don't know who the hell it is. They don't have a lot of great options. No, um, but I, I, it's. It, I think at this point in time, you just ride the hot bats. I think that's where, where it really what comes down to. But the problem is there's not many, <laughs> so there's not many to choose from. So that, that's that's the biggest flaw. Well, they've become reliant on the stars. Think about yeah. that. Look at how they came back in Game Two of this series. They need Lindor and Alonso to be superstars because. That's really how this offense homes. That's how it goes. They need their stars to play like stars. 
Dude, they're having career Mets seasons. Like, I'm not going to say that these are the best seasons of all time, but, like, Pete Alonso's putting up numbers where he could break, what, single-season RBI total, single-season, potentially single-season yes. home run record, right? I mean, that that's the, that's up there, potentially. Lindor has, has set records for a shortstop. I mean, what they're doing is, is really impressive, and yes. I don't think they're getting enough credit. No, they're both having outstanding seasons, and they both have had clutch seasons, no doubt. They broke the uh, HBP record in the finale against Milwaukee, the hit batsman record, which you knew what was coming. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to the 2022 New York Mets on that. I also read that there's a team this year, I forget who it was, it may have been the Reds, who are going to break the record for hitting the most guys. So clearly more guys are just being hit in general in Major League Baseball. Uh, to me, it always just comes down to don't get hurt. Obviously, the Marte thing has been very, very serious, and they've lost him for an extended period of time now. But a lot of times when guys get hit by pitches, I'm excited because it means you got on base, and that's really what it comes down to. So here's where we are. It's very simple now. The New York Mets have 11 games left in this season, but they have five before they play the Atlanta Braves. Five games left against the Oakland A's and the Miami Marlins. Can the New York Mets go into the Atlanta series up a game. That's the goal. I laid that out a few weeks ago. Sign me up for being up one game in the National League East going into that Atlanta series where all you've essentially got to do is win a game. If you win two, great. Then you've really taken the division. But if you win one game, you could walk out of that series tied, but on the tiebreaker, and just beat the Nationals at home, and you win the National League East. Here's the way things lay out. Five games. Three in Oakland against the A's, two against the Marlins. I've got good news. Sandy Alcantara is pitching this weekend, which means he will not pitch any of the two games against the New York Mets. So that's a positive right there. Three against Oakland, two against Miami. I'd like to be a pig and say win all five. If you win all five, I feel really effing good that we'll pick up a game at least on the Atlanta Braves who have to play four games with the Philadelphia Phillies and then they play the Nationals again. Yeah, I don't know what I'm getting from the Nationals, but they do play the Nationals again. And then obviously it sets up for the series against Atlanta. I don't know what to expect from Philadelphia. The Phillies, obviously, you know what at the bet last weekend, including blowing that game on Friday. If you can go 4-1, and one, yeah, hey, give them one loss in Oakland. I prefer not to. I prefer to just win every effing game. But if you can go 4-1, and one, I'd also feel at least halfway decent that the Braves would lose a game because the worst-case scenario you want to be in is be even. That's where you want to be. Now, if you're a game back, you put yourself in a spot where you have to win the series and then tie them up and you have the tiebreaker. So it's not end-of-the-world stuff if you're a game out. It just means, boy, you better win that series. You have to win that series. Being a game up, gives you the cushion that all you essentially have to do is win a game. You get swept, it's over. I mean, I'm sorry. And you don't deserve to win the division at that point. I don't like saying that because you're going to win over 100 games, so it's not fair to say you don't deserve something. But right now, with five games left for the Mets and seven games left for Atlanta, a game up to me would be the ultimate goal. Is that a reasonable expectation, Pete? Which one, the 5-0 and or the 4-1? Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm trying to combine it with Atlanta because it really comes down to that. Because if the Mets go 5-0 and and the Braves go 7-0, and they're tied. And there's nothing you really could do about it going into that race. 
I just have some hope that the Phillies are going to win at least a game against Atlanta, right? At- Atlanta's losing one game before the Mets series, guaranteed. I just I just say they're not they're not winning seven in a row. It's just not it's not happening. No, oh, so I, I feel like you're jinxing this right now. <laughs> no, I'm not jinxing anything. It's just re- reality is is going to set in again. The off day I think is huge. The, the funny thing is the they have the off day before the Mets game, so that kind of sucks a little bit. But I, I just think that it's it's going to be those they have too long of a season left to be undefeated. They're not going to sweep the Mets. They're not going to win seven in a row. They're not going to win ten straight. You know what I mean? So I, there's definitely a, a loss before the Mets get there, and I think the Mets will. It's now the Mets got to do their part. I think four and four and one is realistic. Well, I, I, they should go five and zero, oh, but they need they four and one is realistic. What's crazy is that you would feel less confident about the Oakland series just because it's it's the West Coast, it's a road trip. I you never know. The Mets are set up in this Oakland series to have Bassett. DeGrom, and Scherzer. And you've got Bassett facing his former team, a stadium he's very familiar with, a mound he's very familiar with. You'd have to feel good about, really good, just about these pitching matchups going into this series against Oakland. And then obviously the series against Miami, you're looking at Carrasco and Taiwan Walker. And and I think with both guys, you're not really sure what to expect. With Cookie, it's either good Cookie or bad Cookie. And he's mostly been great recently, so I don't want to pick on him for his recent outing. Like, his Carrasco has been a tremendous second-half pitcher. And Taiwan Walker has really bounced back after, you know, everybody was saying, oh, second-half ties back. Taiwan Walker's had three good starts in a row. I don't care what his numbers say from the finale against the Brewers. I thought he pitched really well. It, it, is the game uh, against Miami, is that a day game? No. <laughs> oh. Well, then, no, unfortunately. Then I, don't know, then I don't really bet on that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got, he's, been dom- he's been dominant during the day starts. It's been unbelievable. I know. So they got Friday night in Oakland, Saturday afternoon in Oakland, Sunday afternoon in Oakland, Tuesday night at City against the Marlins, Wednesday night at City against the Marlins, off day, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. They got Sunday night. Thank God for that, by the way. I love that they flex that game into Sunday night. Makes the Rico have to start a lot later, but that's okay. <laughs> can at least watch football during the day. And then obviously they end the season against the Washington Nationals. Monday night, Tuesday night, and then everybody plays at the same time Wednesday afternoon. Here's the bottom line, Mets fans. This was a very good week. They uh, put together a six-game winning streak, which was very necessary after what happened against Chicago. It sucks they lost the finale against the Brewers. It wasn't fun. It was a blowout. It was ugly. But here we are even in the lost column with the Atlanta Braves going into that final stretch before we go one-on-one with the champ, the Atlanta Braves. And for any Brave fan who says we obsess over them, we do. We're in a pennant race. Of course we obsess over every game you have. I assume you obsess over us. That's the fun of a race. You're looking at what that team's doing. They're looking at what you're doing. That's called a pennant race. And uh, this has been one hell of a pennant race because in my lifetime, when you think of true pennant races, the New York Mets have been in. It really comes down to, I hate to say it, 2007 and 2008. And both were choke jobs. 07 more so than 08. But those were frustrating pennant races. The Mets ran away with it in 06. 99 and 2000, I guess, were pennant races. They were for the wild card. 99, the one-game playoff, all that. 15, 16, not really. This is a true pennant race. And this is a heavyweight pennant race. Because you're talking about two teams that are clearly going to win 100 games. Think about that. 
The Mets are 95 and 56. They have 11 games left. If they go six and five, which would not be good enough, we all admit six and five will not be good enough. They're going to win 101 games and not win the National League East, which is insane. Like the Mets may finish with the second most wins in the history of the franchise. I mean, that's what's so remarkable about what this team has accomplished, which I guess is also what's made it so frustrating that we can't simply enjoy what's been a great season. Hey, let's get ready for the playoffs and instead have to sweat out, you know, like this all-time pennant race. But that's what's crazy. They've won 100 games three times in their history. They won 100 games in, 108 games in 86, not going to match that. But they won 100 games in 88 and 100 games in 69. They're going to defeat that. The Mets are going to finish this season with the second most wins in the history of the franchise. That's crazy. I said this. I said this before this, not before the season started, but the, as things were starting to heat up, I got a question: How many wins will the Mets have? Say, I said one hundred three. I still feel very comfortable with that number, but I do say for the Mets to win the division, they need one hundred four. That's that's the yeah. Number. It's look as long as they win a game against Atlanta, because eight and three sounds like oh, that's probably good enough. Yeah, but if you get swept by Atlanta, it's not. So not all losses or wins are created equal, especially because of that tiebreaker. So no matter how you add this up, the Mets have to win a game against the Braves to ensure that they win the tiebreaker for the National League East. But more on this as we get closer. We'll obviously have a Rico after the Oakland series uh, and get you set for the two games against the Marlins and obviously get you set for the showdown against the Atlanta Braves. I did write down the way the pitching is lining up for the Met-Braves series, but I got to throw it out now because of Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider is dealing with a minor oblique injury, and he's been pushed back from his last start. So we'll see what that means for him when he ends up pitching. All I know is that I know what the Mets are lined up to do. The Mets are lined up to throw Bassett, DeGrom, and Scherzer. When I wrote down what the Braves were in line to throw at the time, and I'm not sure if this is going to change, it looked like it was going to be Kyle Wright, Charlie Morton, and Max Free. So... That may change depending on the status of Spencer Strider. I do wish him the best. I don't want that guy to be hurt. I want to kick his ass. That's what I want to do. I want to face him, and I want to kick his ass. Anyhow, Craig and I, 2 o'clock on the fan. You can hear off with Tiki and Tierney. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.